All right. Uh, so I'll just start off with this real quick. One day, a man was home alone with his uh, two-year-old. He had left the little child on the ground floor while he went down into the basement. The ladder-like stairs leading to the basement had been damaged, and to repair them, he had to remove them. Then it happened. There was a power failure, and the whole house went dark. With the stairs dismantled, he could not immediately get back to the ground floor, and the two-year-old was looking for him in the semi-darkness, calling, Daddy, where are you? So he called out, saying, I'm here. Just follow my voice. At last, the two-year-old appeared and stood hesitantly at the edge of the basement door. The father could see the tiny figure silhouetted against the dim light from outside and knew that he could safely catch them if they just jumped. On the child's part, looking down, all they could see was a big black hole. Then, then they heard the father's voice. It's okay, I can see you, just jump. The response to, in this story says, uh, the Christian life is not a leap in the dark. Rather, it is, if we have learned to recognize our Father's voice, it is a leap into strong and loving arms. So last week we've been talking, well, last couple weeks we've been talking about leadership, the importance of leadership in the church. Uh, we looked at how Jesus taught the disciples and what the focus of uh, the New Testament seemed to be on uh, servanthood as a form of leadership or what ultimately is true leadership as far as uh, the church is concerned. And today we'll look at an overview of uh, a few leaders in the Bible and see what, what growing pains that they had as, uh, as God was transforming them into the people they were supposed to become, the leaders that they were supposed to become. And uh, the whole idea being to hopefully help us identify things that we might be going through or things that could we could eventually be going through if the ultimate goal for us is to continue to improve, to become more of what God put us here to be, then uh, we will go through growing pains because we, none of us have started off in, where, in the place where we should be or where we're going to ultimately end up. So change is going to hurt. And that's just part of, that's just part of the growing process. So we'll look at a couple of overviews and kind of see what their growing process was and see um, what we can apply that or how we can apply that to, uh, ourselves. Um, before I do that, I wanted to kind of reiterate, I guess it's focus, look on what a biblical leader is. And I've got this little write-up that I got out of a, out of a book that I, that I read while preparing for this class, and I thought it was pretty good. It says, Biblical leaders who allow God to do his deep work in their lives will be transformed more and more into the likeness of our master. They will be confident yet humble, strong uh, yet gentle, visionary yet never riding roughshod over those who disagree, warm, loving, and in some cases even commanding, yet never uh, seeking to be idolized, filled with a burning passion for Christ, yet never lacking compassion for the slow and weak, capable and perhaps highly gifted, but always with the heart of a servant, filled with the Spirit, yet always marked with the meekness of Christ. Um, the only thing I think that might be missing, it's a, I think is a pretty good, concise list of things, the only thing it didn't explicitly list was a consistent prayer life, but you can't really do, you can't allow God to do his deep work without that. 
So it's implied, but I had to say it. All right. So the first overview we'll look at is Jacob. Jacob, Abraham's grandson, the third of Israel's patriarchs. He was born the second of twins, and his name means he takes by the heel or he cheats, the deceiver. I've heard that before, but it never really hit home until I started looking at the overview. Uh, one day he, he takes advantage of his uh, brother in a moment of hunger and exhaustion and tricks him into selling away his birthright for a bowl of stew. And then as Rebecca's favorite son, he connives with his mother to steal the paternal blessing of his father Isaac for the firstborn from Esau. And the, the paternal blessing, that's hard for me to grasp, is the paternal blessing. It's not only a legal force, but it had, it had a, a legal tie. Well, okay, so legal with the law, and then it had a tie with God's promise as well. And once it was done, it was done. You can't undo this birthright promise that was passed. So it was a, it was a huge deal. Um, he, so Jacob stole the two things that really mattered legally and spiritually from Esau. And then, of course, fearing his brother, his, his mother lets him, helps him to escape, and he goes to live with his, his uncle, who is an even bigger cheat than he is, oddly enough. And so after paying the bride price for, with seven years of hard work, he gets tricked into marrying the wrong woman and, and then entrapped for another seven years for the, the woman he was actually wanting. Six more years of hard work under his uncle, and uh, he, he decides to flee with his wives and children and uh, all of his flocks and stuff. And then he hears that his brother has 400 armed men waiting for him, this brother that he took everything that should have been extremely important to him, stole. And so caught between Laban and Esau, the cheat, having nowhere to connive his way out of, he actually, um, he actually turns to God, and he had, we have a prayer recorded in Genesis 23, or 32, sorry, Genesis 32, 9 through 12. It says, O God of my father Abraham, and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred, that I may do you good. I'm not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. <clears throat> For with only my staff I cross this Jordan, and now I have become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. But you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as a sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for their for multitude. So, he's, he's stuck. He can't go back. He can't think of a way out. He ends up going to God, 
um, and just basically begging for help because that's that's the only way he could he could see. Um, that night, that same night, left alone on the banks of the river, he ends up wrestling with a stranger who dislocates his, his hip, right? And the interesting part about that, we know that it's an angel. He eventually knows that it was, that it was an angel as well. And um, he asks, what is your name? The angel asks Jacob, what is, what is your name? I always thought that was strange. Didn't really make any sense. I mean, if this is an angel or God, we, he knows. He knows who this is. That's why he's there. Well, um, the writer of this book was bringing up a good point, I thought, that um, God was forcing Jacob to confess without self-justification that I am Jacob, I am the cheat. He had to give that up, if that makes any sense. Because at that point then, once he, was, once he gave that up, then he could be given his name Israel, and God could begin to use him for the plan, for God's plan. We'll jump to Moses real quick. Several generations after Jacob was Moses. Of course, he was born and ended up being raised in a palace. And, and because of all his, um, I guess, treatments, special treatments that he got from the palace, he got education and, and, and whatever else, he was uh, fairly confident in his <clears throat> abilities, his knowledge. And when his people, when he saw that his people, uh, the, where the Egyptian was beating one of the, the slaves, he decided to take it upon himself and, uh, I guess, solve the problem himself, physically, of his own strength. And, of course, then he has to flee because Pharaoh, he's worried, he's afraid of Pharaoh. He flees and goes to Midian, and he's there for, as a shepherd for 40 years. Forty years. Uh, I don't think that anything that he learned while living in the Egyptian palace prepared him for 40 years of sitting in the desert watching sheep. Probably not. Um, but I would, based on what we see, it was a fairly humbling experience. You sit there, you have a lot of time to think. You have a lot of time to pray. You have a lot of time to, to get closer to God in that respect because there's really nothing else to focus on. And that's part of the problem with nowadays is we've got too many things to focus on. You know, the, uh, but he learned a lot during that 40 years, though. Uh, it, it comes to my mind is there's actually a, uh, we've read, uh, or the eldership has read it, there's a book and it's called uh, something about the smell of sheep or... Uh, it's for the shepherding part and whatnot, and it uses it correlates between things that were learned dealing with sheep and things like that or whatnot. That's kind of interesting. And uh, sheep and people so, and God so, yeah, and us. And, yeah. Mm -hmm. So, so the reality is, is, is uh, 
you know, we, we forget sometimes during that time, we think it's like this big blank 40 years. Well, we skip time. over it. Yeah. That's why I said, I wanted to reiterate, that was, it was 40 years. Yeah. It wasn't just like, and then the next week. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff that happened in there. Wasn't he about 40 years old when he went there too? I think so. I think so. I thought I remember hearing. I didn't verify the age, but that's what I was thinking. He wasn't young. He wasn't like 20. He was. Yeah. That's what I was thinking as well, but I'm not entirely sure about the age he left Egypt. David Roper when he did him. Yeah, right. Exactly. But he wasn't a young man. He wasn't like 16 or 20. No, no, no. Yeah, he. Between 30 and 40, I think. And if he were to go and be married, he would have been, yeah, he would have been older, I would have thought, as well. So we see the confidence or the lack of confidence that Moses had when uh, God comes and says, all right, go. And he's like, well, hold up. You know, I can't, I can't do that. You know, they won't listen to me. I'm not eloquent or um, basically just please send somebody else. Almost my response when I was asked to do this class. Almost. I was going to say, it was, I, think, I think all of us have, <laughs> have had that same response in some way yeah. when asked to do something. Right. Knee-jerk reaction is like, no, can't do it. But yeah. So it's that it needs to be done. Will you do it? Take that responsibility. And, of course, he tries to get out of it, he even wrangles his brother into it, and, uh, and then and does what he's supposed to. Yeah. I, I'm going to interrupt one yeah, go ahead. time here. Was, I think it's important for me to say to the rest of the group, because you've already heard me, Todd, say this. I want them all to know that in the conversation with Todd about doing this class, his response to me was, me and my wife have talked about this, and we've decided to step outside our comfort level to do things that we know we need to do to help work, you know, for the Lord's. That's that's the heart that we need of everybody. Because how will you ever get used to doing this if we don't step out? And just because we're uncomfortable with it or we're not, that doesn't relieve us of our responsibility. Yeah. So, I applaud you, sir. Well, I appreciate that we'll go back to the lesson about pride and <laughs> talk about that for a second. Actually, no, the next one is good. We can't congr- congratulate anybody anymore. <laughs> <laughs> we're, just, it's like, we're just supposed to walk by and give the old nod. And that's yeah. about it, I guess. Yeah, it's that slippery slope. What you got? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's just a fist bump. Okay. Uh, we'll jump to Peter. Because Peter was a self-made, born leader type, opposite of my personality, basically. If you want to know what Peter was like, not me. So whenever the, the disciples were listed, Peter's name was always first. So everyone saw him as a leader. He was just, he was just that guy. I mean, uh, all, we've all known people like that that are just... Uh, if it's charismatic or if it's just their ability to have a following. We talked about that a couple weeks ago about what a natural born leader kind of looks like. And his confidence, you see 
the strength of his confidence in Matthew 26 when you're at the Last Supper and Jesus is telling that people, everyone will abandon, abandon him. And, of course, Peter says in verse 33, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. That's pretty, that's pretty boastful, especially because the next verse is where Jesus says, this night you will do that. And of course, you know how that turned out, especially hearing the rooster crow the third time and when he finally realized what he had done, how devastating it was. And uh, it was a severe blow to his, I'll say, false confidence because it was within, it was his, his own personal confidence within himself, not in what he should be. And we've had many lessons about this where um, Jesus didn't leave him there. I mean, he was crushed, crushed. If he left him there, I don't believe he would be, have been, become effective for the kingdom because Jesus had to restore him back. And he does that by asking, you know, do you love me? Feed my sheep those three times. So we see the, the change in Peter when you go from the last step where he's like, I'll never fall no matter what, and then, of course, he does, to 1 Peter chapter 5, where his response is, So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. So, I, that's humility learned the hard way. And sometimes personality like that needs to be thumped, for lack of a better term. You've got to be thumped out of your own way sometimes to become effective. That's part of that conversation we were talking about. On, on Peter, though, also, like, Jesus tells them, you're going to deny me three times, but then he also tells them, that uh, I pray for you that your faith may not fail, and that once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. So he's already kind of before the event even happened, so I'm hoping, of course, I'm not in Peter's mind, right, but I'm hoping after the event unfolds, Peter also was the contrast of Judas when he fell on his face. 
Yeah. yeah. Just took a much different course than Peter. Right. Peter got back up and learned from it and moved on. Right. And Which is the leadership. Yeah. That's true. There, and, and you'll see a lot of people in the world, more so now it seems like, where when they fall, they just stay flat because they don't, they don't have anything else to grab onto. Like Jack. <laughs> <laughs> that was, man, I just lobbed that up there. Sorry about that. That was pretty good. All right, let's talk about Paul real quick. Paul's an impressive guy because he was the one with all the training. He's a Jew and schooled by um, Gamaliel. Uh, he was a potentially a member of the Pharisaic community because he was the one. He was at least close in with them because he held the cloaks of them when they stoned Stephen. Um, he took the lead in persecuting the church and uh, or anyone who was perceived as a deviant from Judaism. He was a hardcore Jew. Uh, let's see. And this is possibly a member of the Sanhedrin. Oh, sorry, that was the where he guarded the clothes uh, when they killed Stephen. And he had the full legal backing of the Jewish authorities to persecute and destroy the church. In Acts chapter 9, we see that where he gets, it says, but, uh, but Saul, called, of course, he's not Paul yet, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues of, at Damascus that, it be found, that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And of course, that would mean ultimately that they would be killed, I would assume, or that something along those lines. But after his rather dramatic conversion, he doesn't immediately go to work. He, he goes off for about two years into Arabia after a brief stay in Damascus. And then he travels to Jerusalem for about two weeks. And then he goes back home to his hometown, Tarsus. And is apparently there for about ten years. Until Barnabas comes and they begin the wider ministry in Antioch. And then the church of Antioch sends Paul and Barnabas out later on. So that's about 14, 15 years from his conversion to that time period. I didn't realize how long of a time period that was. It was, he, he didn't immediately flip to, I'll say, bad guy to good guy. You know, I'm raging against the church, and then the next week I'm preaching for the church. He had a lot of learning and a lot of changing to do. And it took time. It took time. It was not overnight. I'm sure he spent a lot of time trying to gain the confidence of Christians. Yes. I imagine that was a large part of that as well. Yeah, right. I'm not going to let you in here. What soldier are you bringing with you? Right. Uh, so it's going to take time. you got to prove, prove yourself. Um, 
And so in those years, it changed him from this, it said, still breathing murderous threats, right, to the church, to what we read in Philippians, where uh, chapter 3, beginning in verse 4, he says, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews, as law, Pharisee, as to zeal, persecutor of the church, as to righteousness and the law, blameless. So these, we've, we've read this verse before. He goes on to, to list all of the uh, under the law aspects of why he is the best of the best. And then, of course, says at the end, this is all trash. It's pointless. This is nothing compared to knowing Christ. And that's what we read down here in verse, verse 8. It says, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Um, I like that, not having a righteousness of my own. That's an interesting way of saying that, I thought. Um, but it says righteousness of my own from the law. I can do everything right. I've taught, tried to teach my girls this. You can do everything right. It matters why you did it. Not necessarily, I mean, sure, you can do good things, but ultimately to God, what matters is why you did it. Did you do it because you wanted them to like you or because you want people to, to have this perception of the type of person that you are? Or did you do it because it was the right thing to do? It was just what needed to be done. It's intent. That's the heart. So all of us have a, I use this because I think of this for myself, it's a breaking uh, or a transformation from what we were to what we are and to what we will be, assuming we continue to grow throughout this life because it never stops. It's always a, it's a constant journey. Todd, Sir. probably one of the most understated, underrated statements in the Bible, um, I think is what God says to Ananias, when he says, hey, go see this uh, Saul fellow, and he goes, hey, we know about the Saul guy, and then Jesus says, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. Every time I read that, I always think God's going to give special attention to Paul, or Saul, I guess, at the time, right? And he's going to grow, strengthen, and then my mind goes straight to the to first Corinthians, I think, where it talks about, you know, all the things that happened to him, you know, being <laughs> shipwrecked, being hungry, being beaten, um, yeah. and all of that, just as he's transforming, right? Yeah. Going, and then you talk about Galatians, where he talks about he was a zealot for the for Judaism, you know, of um, advancing in his young age amongst his contemporaries, right? So right. full board Judaism, and God kind of, you know, turns him 180 degrees and kicks him in the butt, and he's now 180 degrees as a Christian, right? So, mm -hmm. he gets, like I said, he gets that special attention from God as his chosen instrument to go and, and go be amongst the Gentiles and spread the word. And special attention from God doesn't mean 
butterflies and rainbows. <laughs> it's it's going to be uh, painful at times because you're going to have to change, and change is change hurts. And you have to be accepting of that, right? Yeah. Yeah. If you remember at the beginning when I read the biblical leader, it said, "Those who allow God to do His good work, allow. You won't do it unless we allow it." Because of the free will. If we don't want him to, he won't. And the two are detriment, unfortunately. Todd. Sir. Uh, for me, I, when I think of a leader, I think, you know, we got to be careful because it's our human nature a lot of times is to take the, the easy path mm. versus the hard path. And, and with Saul, you know, he's well-educated and he's following the law. If I think about that today, how easy is it to say, put the importance on my education, important, the importance on what the law says, but yeah. does that mean that I'm righteous? Am I doing what's right before God? Sadly, today, that doesn't, those two do not go together. Right. So, you know, it would be really easy for a leader to take that path of, well, I'm educated, I got the knowledge, and I've done what the law says. But are you being a righteous leader? Right. I think that comes. Uh, one sec. I think that comes down to. Uh, I, I've always said this is. It might be a, an overstatement or understatement, but it's a. Uh, if you think you've got it figured out, you've missed something, because <laughs> you're not ever going to be there. It's always a constant battle to continue to grow so if you're like okay i've made it to this position don't get comfortable because you've got more to grow uh, otherwise because if you if you get comfortable you can fall into those traps of well i'm i'm doing I'm checking the boxes right i've got all these things figured out i'm good to go well you you could be going quite the opposite you had something late yeah i was just gonna say we talked about paul starting off in his ministry and um he writes in 1 Corinthians and also kind of mentions it in 1 Thessalonians. Like He says that I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling when he was preaching. And this is, this is like actually a little further along in his ministry. Like he had already gotten started and he was doing things, if that makes sense. And mm-hmm. like, But he uh, would say that he relied on on God's wisdom and on His Spirit, and uh, so that's something that has stood out to me. Mm. That is that, like, you know, we uh, we kind of put Paul on a pedestal, and he's done so much great work for God's kingdom, uh, but it was because of his reliance on on God uh, that made him so effective. Yeah. Yeah. I like that, that the bring up the verse about the fear and trembling while he was preaching. Because you're right. All of these guys, we kind of put on a pedestal um, and think somehow they've, they were these amazing people and they were almost more than the average person. Whereas, you know, getting up in front of people is not a fun thing to do. And I can't imagine, I mean, this is nothing like a crowd that he would have to talk to. So that would be absolutely terrifying. 
Um, and I can I can relate. It's, this so is, it's this nice to see the human a, side. This is still a group that were confused to not getting it. You need to remember that, 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 yeah, all this came in time. Yeah. In prayer and understanding. And, and because we saw time and time again, they were just confused about this whole thing. So. Well, he was always well aware of what the Jews were capable of. I mean, he was a part of it. I mean, he was, he was, an active part, he yeah. knew exactly what they were capable of and what they were willing to do. And I mean, he got ran out of just about every synagogue that he went into ever. I mean, he hardly ever spent much time in any one of them because he knew what they were capable of, but it didn't matter. He, he, he went anyways. And that's, that's what's so amazing. The fact that it's, he, he makes it so clear that he was terrified of what he was doing because he knew, he knew what they were capable of. Uh, but he went anyways. It didn't matter. What was neat to me is he might have lost his confidence within his self-confidence and leaned more on God, but the zeal never left. That's, that's what I thought was interesting. Because that guy, and he was hardcore. If you put, point him in a direction, he was 150 miles an hour in that direction. Yeah. And I kind of wish I had more of that. What was it John Wayne said? Courage is being scared to death, but still getting it. Saddling up, up and going anyways, yeah. And I got a mug that says You know the background of that. <laughs> when he started in the business, he was scared to death of horses. Really? Really? Yeah. So I didn't know. He overcame that. I would uh, say he did. <laughs> and, and today is, uh, uh, would have been his 72nd birthday or something. Really? I think so. Interesting. So we were talking about time for all these guys. Jacob was 20 years. Moses was 40, or at least within, within the desert of, of Midian. Of course, he had to wander 40 years some other time. But uh, Peter was three years to start and then more. And Paul was about 15. So... Remembering that it takes time. It's a it's a it's a lifetime journey, lifetime transformation. Don't get comfortable sitting there thinking that you've got you've gotten this far, and so I'm good to go. There's you're not there yet, and as long as you're living here, you're not there yet. Because there's always a chance to do more, to grow more, personally. So I'll reread, reread what I, what I read at the beginning about biblical leader, and then we'll look at another verse. So biblical leaders who allow God to do his deep work in their lives will be transformed more and more into the likeness of our master. They will be confident yet humble, strong yet gentle, visionary yet never riding roughshod over those who disagree, warm, loving, and in some cases even commanding, yet never seeking to be idolized, filled with a burning passion for Christ, yet never lacking compassion for the slow and weak, capable and perhaps highly gifted, but always with the heart of a servant, filled with the Spirit, yet always marked with the meekness of Christ. That applies to all of us. All of us. It's not. That's not just like a 
Okay, elders need to read that once a week. That's not what that is. They aren't the only biblical leader. We all are, right? And everything that we do, our jobs, our homes, everything that we do. So if we're going to allow God to do this deep work, it's going to take time, transformation, effort. Uh, Going back to the story at the beginning with a child jumping in, The decision to follow is, is an active decision. It requires action. It's not passive. You don't sit there and go, okay, I've now decided to follow. You can't do that. You have to then do something. Actively follow, actively pursue, actively grow. So I'll end with... Oh, I want to read this part. Okay, I'm going to read this verse, and then we'll jump. Okay, Philippians chapter 2, starting verse 5, says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He emptied himself by taking the form of servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. If we want to... Uh, ah, okay. Run out of time. There's... Uh, while I'm scrolling down, if you think about some other people um, who didn't do it as well as they could have, think of Samson. Think of how great he could have been if he would have, from the beginning, done what he was supposed to. He was used, and you have a story about him, but man, he could have done some amazing things. Okay, so let's think back to Titus and Timothy at the very beginning, a couple weeks ago, when we talked about the list of what it talks about, eldership and leadership. We were talking about those types of things, and initially I was saying that I would see those as, as lists, lists of checkoff list, but it's not. Um, Based on what we're seeing, this is, you don't gain these things and check off and go. This is a constant evolution and constant training and retraining and, you know, you can get better at one and it's just this constant, constant battle with our human selves. So I'll, I'll just finish with this. It's a quote out of a book called Leadership or Servanthood. It says, If you desire to walk closely with God from day one before a major crisis hits you, then you need to be forewarned that the path is not going to be a bed of roses and living happily ever after. If you are seriously going to walk with God, you must be prepared to go all the way. And going all the way can bring you into situations that you may never, ever have wished for. That is... When you find yourself at a crossroads, one way promises comfort and relative ease, the other will upend your life completely. It is at that point that you must choose. And uh, and should you choose to back away from the path God has laid, uh, laid out for you, you ought to know beforehand that that would mean never arriving at the goal he had purposed for you. You will miss out on God's best for you. How then will you choose?
I'm reminded of, I've got a verse here at the end that I was, I was, when, when I was going through this class, I just, I kind of pinged and thought of, so I'll read it real quick. I, therefore, prisoner of, of the Lord, in Ephesians 4, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, there is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Something to remember as we grow on this together. <laughs>